stories, big guests, the big picture. Afternoons with Rob Breckenridge. Weekdays 1230 to 3, 770 CHQR. This has significant legal consequences for those entities and organizations that we list as terrorists. And and therefore, it has to be based on a, on a defensible a body of evidence that, that does, in fact, provide me with reasonable and probable grounds to believe that, that they, they do meet that threshold. Okay, that's Public Safety Minister Bill Blair uh, laying the, the groundwork here, that sort of the, the, that very principle on, on how and why groups are added to the list of banned terrorist entities. This cannot be political. This has to be evidence-based. The government today has added 13 new groups to the list of banned terrorist organizations. Now, that includes some al-Qaeda affiliates, uh, some affiliates uh, of the Islamic State, and some neo-Nazi groups, Adam Waffen Division, uh, the group called The Base. There's another uh, white supremacist group called the Russian Imperial Movement. And then there's a group I think that maybe more people have heard of lately called The Proud Boys. And that's where there's been some contention that it's not enough to be a far-right group or a rabble-rousing group or a provocative group or even kind of an extremist group. This isn't a list of groups we don't approve of. This is a very specific list that has very specific purposes. So the inclusion here of the Proud Boys, and we've been hearing rumblings about this for a while, has certainly raised some eyebrows about this whole process. So joining us for some further thoughts on the groups that were included here, some groups that were not included here, which uh, I think there's there's some points to be made, but in particular, the Proud Boys joining us to talk about all of this is Leah West, Assistant Professor and Associate Director with the Norman Patterson School of International Affairs at Carleton University. Leah, great to have you with us here. Welcome to the program. Thanks for having me. Uh, so let's start, first of all, then, with uh, the Proud Boys decision. I, I know you've, you've spoken about this in the past. You've had some concerns about uh, this decision. What did you make of that? Um, so I wasn't surprised by the decision to lift the Proud Boys. Um, and I was glad to hear the, the minister make very, very clear um, and repeatedly that the decision was based on evidence that the Proud Boys met the legal threshold that is set out in the criminal code and was not uh, based on political pressure um, out of parliamentarians in the House of Commons. And I think that's very important. Mm -hmm. Um, But I'm sure that uh, people will have doubts about that. Well, and look, I mean, if, if the evidence is there, then it's there. But it seems like a lot of this hinges on... Uh, some some convictions coming out of what happened in this insurrection on Capitol Hill back on January 6th. So a lot of the case against the Proud Boys does stem from that incident, doesn't it? Yes. Um, when you look at the listing, the, the core basis, or at least the core public basis for listing the Proud Boys, is their um, activity around January 6th in the Capitol, um, which, as you point out, is... You know, it's interesting because the members of the Proud Boys, um, some have been charged for their activity on January 6th, but there's been no convictions yet. Um, and mm. so leading me to question, well, what happens if they're acquitted? <laughs> um, right. But, uh, yeah, the, the, the foundation, at least the public foundation for the lifting of the Proud Boys, is largely based 
on their role in the Capitol Hill um, violence that led to, you know, the deaths of five people. They do also mention their um, counter-protesting at Black Lives Matter um, um, marches and whatnot over the course of the summer in the United States as well. Because otherwise, and I, I've seen a few people make this point, that we have groups of concern, shall we say, uh, far-right groups of concern. There's uh, the Soldiers of Odin, there's the Three Percenters, there, there's groups like that out there, and, and that maybe the Proud Boys typically kind of fall into that category. They're, they're not terrorist groups per se, they're, they're groups worth keeping an eye on, they're groups that I'm sure law enforcement are aware of. But there does seem to be a fine line, doesn't there, between this group is a terrorist organization versus this group is concerning, potentially violent, that they're troublemakers, etc. Well, I would think that the thing that surprised me about the listing today is not the fact that the Proud Boys were listed, but that those other groups that you mentioned were not. Um, because the threshold, you know, is that the groups have engaged in or attempted to engage in terrorist activity. Um, and the definition of terrorist activity is set out in the Criminal Code of Canada. Um, and, you know, I think that those groups have engaged in terrorist activity. I think there's, there's quite a bit of ev- public evidence for that. Um, but um, they were not listed and certain groups were. So I wouldn't be surprised if those other groups that you mentioned, and we actually do see listed eventually. Um, and I, I think certainly um, the government is really reconsidering um, the groups that it lists and is taking a hard look um, across the ideological and political spectrum now when it comes to groups that we're going to list. And I think that this is important um, because a lot of people have called into question the validity or not the validity, but the efficacy of listing organizations. And I think we need to remember that in the past, most of these organizations haven't had much of a footprint here in Canada. So, yes, the implications of listing them in Canada have been somewhat marginal. But when we start to talk about groups whose assets are in Canada, whose members are in Canada, whose supporters are in Canada, the implications of listing are quite a bit different than when we're talking about organizations who are largely abroad. Uh, Let's talk about a couple of the other groups uh, that are on here. And I I know there has been criticism of of Public Safety Canada and this whole process that we we maybe have not focused on neo-Nazi or white supremacist groups. There's certainly, I think, a need to do so. And and Adam Waffen Division, the base, we've heard a lot about these groups. Maybe that was long overdue. I'll admit I hadn't heard of this Russian imperial movement before today, but um, they they seem rather problematic to say the least. So what, what do you make of some of these other groups that were included today? Um, so the Russian imperialist movement have been listed. They were listed in the United States earlier this year. Um, you know, they're a group that largely fundraises and promotes terrorist activity and, and violence um, in Eastern Europe. So that's some, a group that we would think of as more being a foreign terrorist organization, but it is based on, you know, right-wing ideological views. Um, whereas the base in Adam Waffen we have seen in Canada and in the United States um, obviously, there was a lot of discussion. I think I even talked to you about Patrick Matthews, who was, you know, recruiting yeah. in Winnipeg for the base, um, which is a white wing, a right wing kind of neo-Nazi organization, um, and has engaged in kind of recruitment and training camps and violence. So, um, I think, you know, it's appropriate to have all of these groups listed, um, but I do hear the calls from a lot of. Um, civil liberties organizations, and I think it's valid that any
talk about really expanding the list to include um, terrorist and terrorist organizations or organizations from, you know, expanding the kind of ideological spectrum that we're including on these lists should also come with a, a review of the process itself. Like there's been a lot of questions about whether or not this process is even constitutional since it came into being. So I think, you know, any calls to expand it should also come with calls to take a step back and ensure that the process um, is legally sound and constitutional. Because the more you start to list organizations on it that are based in Canada, the more likely that this process is going to get challenged in court. What about the question of public perception? I mean, ultimately, you're right. Either this is legal or it isn't. Either it's useful or it isn't. But the perception that this is political, that, you know, on the one mm-hmm. hand, you've heard arguments that this is too focused on foreign terrorist groups. Um, you know, we, we've ignored domestic groups or it's too focused on Islamic extremists. We're not focused on white supremacists or it's now too focused on right wing groups, not focused enough yeah. on left wing groups. Does that matter if, if there's not a, a level of faith or confidence in this? I think that, I mean, obviously, we want Canadians, we want to have credit, like we want them to believe that the system is credible. Obviously, I think that that is important. It's also important should a group want to challenge the listing, right? The Proud Boys would arguably have a basis for saying that the decision to list them was biased and based on political pressure. Now, it wouldn't have existed had parliamentarians not taken that step to pass that motion and called for a specific legal outcome in the House of Commons. Um, right, so we need to be careful about how we use this ent- this listing. And I think we've also seen kind of the danger of what can happen when you know government officials talk about listing entities that you know they don't like. And we mm-hmm. saw that from the Trump administration quite often, right? Um, so I think we really need to be careful about how much parliamentarians and elected officials weigh into talking about how a legal process and what the the outcomes of legal processes should be, because that's ultimately what this is at the end of the day. Yes, it's a decision made by a minister in cabinet, but to be fair, we have all kinds of administrative decisions that the authorities for those decisions are laid out in legislation, right? And they are reviewable by courts. The fact that it's the minister making the decision doesn't make it an inherently political one, but this process has been seen to be politicized with the listing of the Proud Boys, and that's the risk. Yeah, and, you know, there, there's the, the danger, too, that, you know, the political issue of the day or the political frustration of the day, I, I, you know, even when we have the, the rail blockades, right, there was some who said, you know, we need to treat this almost like a, a domestic insurrection, and maybe we need stricter action with those kinds of groups or environmental groups that are involved in civil disobedience when, when it comes to their protests, that... You know, I mean, that's kind of the danger, right, of taking this idea too far, making it too easy to add these groups. Yes, absolutely. And I think, like I said, we saw that with the United States. We're seeing it now. You know, um, listing terrorist entities shouldn't be about listing your political enemies. Um, In this case, um, we did see an opposition group raise the motion and all of Parliament get behind it. But there's nothing to stop a majority parliament from bringing a motion forward and, you know, getting, you know, an ideological majority on side um, to list denouncing certain groups of terrorist groups in Canada because they're from, you know, they disagree with the government or they are protesting against the government or certain actions, right? So it is 
I, I wouldn't say that that would necessarily lead lead in the end to listings, but you know, it's as you mentioned, slippery slope, right? We don't mm-hmm. want to be seen to be using our national security apparatus in a political fashion. I wonder, too, if we overstate the value of this. I mean, it's not as though, okay, now you, you're wearing a Proud Boys t-shirt off to jail with you. You know, I mean, no. this does give some tools to disrupting financing, that sort of thing. But um, in terms of maybe how this is perceived versus how this is actually used in practice, is, the, is there a disconnect? Mm-hmm. Um, well, like I said, I think the fact that the groups themselves actually have a, a, a larger footprint and financial footprint in Canada um, or reach to Canadian-based financial institutions um, might make this a little bit more consequential. Mm-hmm. But I think there are two other things that we need to think about when we're talking about listing. One, um, it is a big signal to the Canadian public that these groups are terrorist groups and your association or assistance or facilitation of these groups is criminal conduct, right? That's important. It also is a big signal of the threat that these groups pose. And so much about counterterrorism is about early intervention, about preventing people from, you know, um, engaging in extremist movements and radicalizing towards violence. Um, And so much about countering violent extremism comes with that early intervention. So if we recognize that these groups are terrorist threats, it creates an opportunity for an early intervention that may not have been there. Um, You know, talking about loved ones or civil society actors, teachers, right? People seeing people starting to engage with these groups. If we actually acknowledge them as terrorist organizations, there may be more opportunity to intervene. But it's also really important to identify um, that these groups are terrorist groups for the victims of these terrorist organizations, right? And and for the victims of the violence um, and the the targets of their violence and their hate, right? Um, So I think it's not just about the fact that it now um, allows us to seize assets, which I do think is important, but there's a lot more here that is our indirect consequence of listing these groups. We'll leave it there. Dr. West, appreciate it as always. Thanks for the insight on this. Thanks for having me. All the best. Take care. That is uh, Professor Leah West, uh, Associate uh, Director as well at the Norman Patterson School of International Affairs, Carleton University, with a focus on national security law. So her reaction to this announcement today. Your reaction. 403-974-8255. We're back with more right after this. Afternoons with Rob Breckenridge, starting at 1230 on News Talk 770 Calgary.